Some of you probably made some New Year's resolutions. And when you made them, you probably knew that by now, you may or may not even remember what they were. Do you remember what they were? I tell you what, a friend of mine, this is kind of in some Christian traditions, this is, this is the season of, of Lent. And a friend of mine who practices that was uh, asking on Facebook about, you know, suggestions of whether or not he should, he should fast and, 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 and swear off a of social media for Lent. And my comment to him was uh, that I gave, I, I can't do Lent. I gave up Lent for Lent. That's what I do. And I said, I don't do any arbitrary changes based on the turning, flipping of a calendar. And so New Year's resolutions I haven't done in years because all they were was a setup for great big disappointment, right? By the end of January, what are you? You are head deep in Bluebell and, and you're, you're dusting your exercise equipment and all of that stuff, right? That's what happens. And so by March 1st, you may not even remember what they are. If you do, you're sitting there going, why did he have to bring that up? Because now I'm depressed. Or, I'm still not asking for hands, or you actually have stuck to it, which is awesome, and God bless you. That's probably like one and a half of you in the room, right? But that's, it's hard. These things are hard. Change is hard sometimes, isn't it? And I know some of you don't like change. And I know that you don't like change because you have said to me, James, I don't like change. So it wasn't even, you know, hard to figure out. You don't. Some of you have said it in very strong ways at times. Not many, but a few. And, you know, just like I said, I don't like change, James. Why are you doing that? And so that happens. But change is necessary because you are either growing and growing is just slow motion change, isn't it? You're either growing or you are what? Dying. And you know what dying is? Change. Change. I was joking with somebody not too long ago that, you know, there are people who say they do not like to change and they would rather die than change. To which my response is what? That's a pretty big change. You think you don't like change, but you would rather die. Is there a bigger change? Especially, especially if you've never grown. Because if you've never grown, the change you get when you die, not going to be a good one. Not going to be a good one. You better like warmer weather than today. So, change. You might as well embrace it because it's going to happen one way or the other, isn't it? And so, we come to the Luke chapter 18 and Jesus is working on trying to help us to grow. That's change for the better, right? And He's trying to help us to grow, to help us to understand this is what it takes. And particularly, He begins chapter 18. He didn't actually stop and say, okay, right now it's chapter 18. But particularly when He did and taught what was in chapter 18, He starts with change to our prayer life. And I think a good change to our prayer life. And maybe for some people, not even... Uh, a uh, a big change, but maybe a a, uh, a stick to it kind of a change. Don't give up so easily. So this is what we're going to look at this morning. So Luke chapter eighteen. Let's start in verse one. And the uh, the U version does work today because I'm relying on it myself. So here we go. First, before I read this, I do want to I do want to share this. I have a friend who was a preacher. He's been retired now since sometime in the late nineties. Uh, but a preacher who used to love the phrase. Are you listening? Are you listening? And every now and then he got on this kick. He had heard some other preacher say it a whole bunch. Uh, Andy Stanley's father says it a lot. And he, he doesn't even say, are you listening? He just, it's almost at this point, it's, it's like Pavlovian. He ends a sentence all the time with just, 
Listen, listen, listen. Are you listening? Listen, listen, listen. Are you listening? Listen. That sort of a thing. Until it's really kind of it's a sermon of listen with some things put in in between the listens, right? And my friend just loved that. And so he started doing that all the time. Drove us all nuts, to be honest. Because uh, it was just constant. Are you listening? Are you listening? That's the last time I'm going to say it, I think. I promise. But he did that. Sometimes we want to ask that. Parents, do you ask your kids, are you listening to me? I know at least two parents in this world who said it all the time. Mine, you know, mine. Are you listening to me? Yeah, that's usually the response, isn't it? Uh-huh. And so we say it a lot. You may say it to your coworkers because they start to just drift off. They're doing five different things and you're not sure. Are you really paying any attention to anything I've just said to you? You say it to teenagers particularly and uh, you don't know. You still don't know. You've asked five times. You have no idea. And so it just it comes up a lot. We have to ask the question, and I think sometimes God would like to ask us the same thing. Are you listening? I I did it. I'm sorry. I did it again. I'll try. I'll try. I'll try. Verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he... For a while he refused, but afterward he said to myself, said to myself, said to himself, he said to himself, myself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust, unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Some translations there say, will he find persistent faith on the earth? Okay, familiar uh, passage, I think, probably for most of you. This parable is about this lady who, whatever her circumstance is, he doesn't really get into that with us, but she needs justice. She's a widow in a place where it's really difficult to be a widow. If all of your family was gone, you had no one to care for you. And you, uh, you may have some trade. Maybe you are like Lydia, a seller of purple. But this woman clearly is not as successful as Lydia was. Lydia was a, a fairly prominent woman in her time. This lady is poor. Something is going on. We don't know what. Something is going on where someone is mistreating her, taking advantage of her, or abusing her in some way or another. We don't know. Jesus doesn't give us any of that part of the story. She goes to a judge because that's who you went to in that day and time. You went straight to a judge. We might go to the police or go to different services or go to elders of the church or whatever. She goes to a judge in her community. That judge's job is to make sure that she is taken care of and to make sure that no one is taking advantage or abusing her. And she goes and he just blows her off. Just blows her off. I'm glad that never happens now. Judges and, and courts and, and, and organizations and everybody else just never blow anybody off anymore whenever they're being abused, do they? And in her case, he does. He just blows her off and says, I don't care about you. Can you imagine that? You go to the police because somebody is beating on you and they say, we don't care. Go home. Take it. That's what happened to her. And so then she goes back again. And then she goes back again. And then she goes back again. And the judge finally says to, to himself, this lady's driving me crazy. You ever feel that way? 
I wonder when we read this story who, who, who we really identify with more. It depends on the day, maybe. We, all, we want to assume we only identify with the widow, right? We want to assume we only identify maybe with Jesus telling the story. But I think the truth is we identify with them all, don't we? Don't you sometimes, and remember, there is Facebook. We might know how you feel. Don't you sometimes just get fed up with everybody pulling at you in a day? Just one after another, whether it's co-workers, friends, family, kids, whoever. Don't, doesn't that just absolutely get to you? Have you identified with the judge? I think that's part of the story. I think we're supposed to understand that sometimes we're the judge. It's not the main part of the story. He tells us at the beginning, and I love it when Scripture is this easy to interpret, that Jesus said He was telling the story so that you would identify with the widow and hang on and keep praying and keep going back. But I do think we're supposed to get the second layer, which is sometimes we're like this judge. Mom, 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 Right? All through the day. Tanya, 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 Tanya. And I'm just carrying the mantle of her grandfather who is already with the Lord. Because when he left the earth, someone needed to fill in where he used to go, Betty, 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 to his wife all day long. Right? Am I right? I'm right. So, there you go. That's my one time today. I was right. Did you see that? That was awesome. I got a yes. So, there we are. Okay. But, but you, we do, right? There are just times where you're like, can you give me a minute? One. Right? That's why they put locks on bathroom doors. You get one minute, right? And even then, what do you get? Right? Especially all the moms. The moms know this. You get this. Half of those are the husband, aren't they? Where's the ketchup? I can't find the ketchup. Where's the ketchup? It's in the door. You know it's in the door. You knew it was in the door when you went in there. Yeah, but somebody put relish in front of it. I can't see past small jars. You have to understand this. Mom, 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 Tanya, 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 all day long. And I'm sure that Jesus can identify with that too because there are people who go, Jesus, 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 all day long. And this is the cool part. He's telling us that's okay. That's okay. As long as you're not the judge in the situation. If you're the judge who just constantly goes, no, I don't care, no, I don't care, no, I don't care, no, I don't care, no, I don't care. Go away. Then I think he, he actually is wanting us to catch disciples of Jesus. That's not you. It's easy to get there, isn't it? It's easy to become that judge. It's easy to become the person who says, I've already had enough requests this week. Please, nobody ask me for anything else. And there are times where you have to protect yourself and say no now and then. It's not always wrong to say no, but it's always wrong to say no because you have a hard heart and you're not willing to help. That's a different thing, right? Don't become that guy. We don't want to be that guy. And the beauty of this story is Jesus is saying, if you will hang on and if you will keep coming back and you will stick with it, God isn't like that. God loves you, God cares for you, and God is going to listen to you. And you never have to worry about God saying, didn't you already come to me yesterday? Haven't I already helped you once? Or, no, I really don't care about that. I am sure, I am sure that we have all, I know I have, taken stuff to God and sought wisdom from God and, and everything else for things that He went, well, really the answer is, James, drop it. It's not important, right? I know that's true. But you know what answer I've never gotten? Why are you here, James? That's not important. Because if it's important to you, it's important to God. And this widow kept going back to the judge, and it should have been important to him, but it wasn't. But Jesus says, you don't have a God like that. He says, will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Okay, he's not talking. He is, but he's not. He's not focused here primarily on 
that hangnail that's driving you nuts right now. Okay? You know the one with the one with all the black sock lint right under it that you haven't been able to pick out because it's a hangnail, right? That's my one gross thing. That's my one. And I could have made that far grosser. You have no idea. But it's not that. What he you look at his language. Let's look at that again. He says, Will not God grant what? Justice. Won't he give justice? It's easy for us to get so focused on ourselves or to be over-religious and think only of heaven. You know, some, uh, I don't remember who said it first. I'm quoting a preacher who's quoting a preacher who's quoting a preacher. You can be so heavenly-minded that you are of no earthly good. Everything's about heaven and everything's about later. And, and so we're not going to worry about the things now. And I don't care about your toe. And I don't care about how somebody's mistreating you. And I don't care about the fact that you were beaten because it's all going to be fine one day because we're going to heaven. And isn't that great? Yeah, but God intended justice now too, didn't He? Did I read that? Did I read that somewhere? What does that say? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly? It's number one. Did you see that? To act justly? To love mercy? Which is paying attention to the other people in your life and the things that they need to? To act justly? To love mercy? And to walk humbly with your God? It's right there. And that's old, isn't it? That's from Micah. That's old. It's been around a while. We've known this longer than we've been around. That this is the way we're supposed to be. And he says, don't you know that God is going to grant you that justice? He intends it not just in the life to come, but in the life now. And so Jesus says, hold on. He's going to answer, isn't he? But be prepared. We'll get to this a little bit later, but be prepared. That answer may come through you. When we are asking for justice for others, it may mean that God is saying, okay, well, let's do something about it together. So be ready. We'll come back around to that. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, or excuse me, 5 verse 1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. In old NIV says, be imitators of God, therefore, as children or dearly loved or dearly loved children and live a life of love as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. How? You love. This is where it comes in when you're the one that somebody comes to you like they go to the unjust judge, that they will find somebody who is loving and who is kind and who is compassionate and who will act. And one of the things that you will do is pray with that person, right? You will pray for them to find the justice they need, but you'll also stand with them, stand by them, and do whatever you need to do. Uh, good example of that, and I'm just going to brag on one of our elders' wives while I'm here, uh, but Sharon has been a tremendous friend and sister in Christ to Vanessa and all of the things that she's been going through. And uh, for those of you who are visiting this morning or are newer since that happened, uh, Vanessa is a lady here in town who is in prison. And uh, Sharon has studied with her. Vanessa was baptized while she was in prison and has continued to maintain contact with her as she can and encourage her and strengthen her and pray for her. Isn't that what God expects of every single one of us? Every one of us. That we should have people in our lives. My mother does the same thing. She has a friend uh, who is named Jeanette. And Jeanette has a long, hard life. I, I, I could spend way too long telling you all the things that she's had to deal with in her own life. And my mother has stood by her and gotten her housing when she needed housing. That was the last project. She's stayed when she was in jail. She has stayed on track and trying to help her and get her in touch with resources that way. And when she got out, she helps her, uh, has helped her find housing and food and, and job and all that kind of stuff and an encouragement. And they stay together and she gives her a ride to church. All that kind of stuff. That's justice. When he says, act justly, that's it. Help people who are falling through the cracks 
in our society. And there are some pretty huge cracks people can fall through. What about children who need a home? Some of you have adopted children. Some of you are adopted children. Some of you, like me, have families who adopted children. Uh, so you, you, God intends for us to be those people to be the answers to prayer for those who keep going back and say, God, I need justice. There will be justice from God. It may come through you. It may be you He uses to help. Be ready, okay? Be ready. So, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. James 1, 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Before I read the rest of it, some of you are familiar with it. Religion is a dirty word in our society. And religion is because too many people, when they see religious people, see this unjust judge, don't they? They see people who are so high-minded and so self-righteous that they will not help the people who need their help the most because they're not worthy of their help in their minds and in their hearts. Pride instead of humility, disinterest and indifference instead of love and instead of mercy. And they say, there's nothing for me in Christianity because I tried to get some help and I was blown off. Do you think this widow wanted her son, if she had one, to be a judge? I bet bet not. (laughs) I bet she had an earful to give to younger generations. Right? Just like, well, I'm not going to go into that story. Yes, I am. Just like if you've ever heard me talk about uh, the foster child we had named Riley, a little baby, And some of you have heard me talk about this. If you ever hear me talk about the judge involved in that case, you know the old saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. We're going to move on away from that story. (laughs) I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say. 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. Not a bunch of people with nose in in the air. Not a bunch of people with hearts too hard to deal with hard and messy ministry. Ministry can be messy. The religion God loves is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Sometimes we will use that last one, being unstained by the world, as an excuse not to do ministry that gets messy. Don't do that. God was not giving you a loophole. He was giving you a goal that while you do messy ministry, make sure you stay with good integrity and with strong faith and unstained by the things you're rescuing people from. Luke 18, verse 9. Let's look back at the story. He goes on. He talks about three different people here. This is the third, and it's another parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. See, I told you that's where he was going. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Don't you love prayers that start that way? Can you imagine if Bill King had gotten up here and done our prayer of praise and had said, well, Lord, at least I'm not a tax collector. Really? He's going there? Lord, he could have gone down a list of names, right? That would be awful. I think that would be awful. Apparently, Jesus does too. Because this guy, he has a list. Lord, it's not funny, okay? It's not funny that he does this, but it's a little funny. Because he thinks while he's doing this, that he is being so faithful and so religious and so good. And you can just hear it. It just drips, doesn't it? The Pharisee standing by himself prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, 
adulterers or, or even this tax collector over here. <laughs> that's not right. You don't point at the guy in the middle of church and say, and that guy right there. But that's what he did. I fast twice a week like he's trying to impress God. Right? God, did you get this down? Because I think I did pretty good this week. I even kept my New Year's resolution. I, I fasted twice a week. Where did it go? I, I lost it. There it is. I give tithes of all I get. God, I've even been generous. But the tax collector, standing far off, look at his attitude. Look at their body language. One guy is over there, and, and most artists just assume that he was assuming the, what was typically the more uh, boisterous point of view of praying. So you've got the one guy who's over here. His hands are in the air. Oh, Lord! You know, I'm sure he, even though Jimmy Swaggart hadn't happened yet, I'm sure it was a little bit like that, right? So there was that. But the other guy, he's just sitting there going, he, he can't even look up. Have you ever felt that way? I'm unworthy. I can't look up because I don't want to look him in the eye. Not even figuratively, I don't want to look him in the eye. I don't think I can look up. You've been there? Surely we've all been there. If not, today's a good day. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, it's a long-standing Christian practice to pray the prayers of the Bible. People have done that for thousands of years, longer than, than even before the church and Christianity. Back in Judaism, they did as well. Christianity started, they continued it on, looking at prayers in the church and praying them as your own. And one of them, this one, is called the Jesus Prayer. You simply say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the NIV. The tradition is you pray, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And each time you say it, it's not vain repetition. Each time you say it, you emphasize the next part. You start with God or Jesus, the Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you emphasize Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Each time, you can't pray that prayer and be proud by the time you get to the end of it, can you? And that's the idea. is to find the heart that this man has that Jesus says we all need to have. Never be the guy on the street corner shouting. Never be the guy who is praying for attention and credit and brownie points. Be the brother, be the sister who goes before the Lord and says, have mercy on me, God. I don't deserve to be here, but I know that you love me. And because you've read about the widow in the parable just before, I know you never stop listening. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, we don't have to guess about which he, which he appreciates. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He listens to the persistent because He knows then that we are declaring by our faith and by our going back over and over, God, I believe that You love me. A friend of mine asked the other day on Facebook in a minister's thing, he said, how do you connect, what do you think is the connection between prayer and faith and love? And, I, and, and God's love. Prayer, faith, and God's love. And my response to that was, thinking about this because I was already thinking about this, that prayer is a confession of faith. It is a faith, confession of faith that says, I believe that God loves me enough that He will always be listening. 
a confession of of faith that God loves me enough that He will always be listening. And Jesus says, and keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. It's not vain. It's not vain repetition. It is your declaration of faith that God will be just and that God God will move for your good because He will and He does love you. And then He gives us this example and says, when you come, come humbly. Come ready to receive grace. Come ready to receive compassion and justice. Come humbly because God exalts those who are humble. Peter learned that lesson. And he says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Consider this for a second. That sounds almost word for word. It's going to sound almost word for word what Jesus said. And why is that? Jesus was there the day these parables... Or Jesus. Peter was there the day that these parables were taught. He paid attention. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Look at that again. That He will lift you up in due time. You may not always understand why it takes so long. If you're like me, you would have liked the answer by the second prayer, right? Second prayer, that, that should be it. Most of the prayers we pray here, if we have prayer requests here at the beginning, we would love to get good news before we get out. We want the guy who gets up to lead the closing prayer to say, hey, prayers were answered, right? It doesn't always happen quite that fast. Why? We don't know. God in His wisdom knows better than we do. I trust that. I believe that. That's not a platitude. That's not a bumper sticker. I truly believe God understands our situation better than we do and timing to Him matters. And I may never understand it. Never. I may never understand it. And that's okay. Hebrews 11 says all those people lived their lives, gave their lives, sacrificed their lives, martyred their lives because they knew that God and they trusted that God knew what He was doing and that His timing was better than their own even if they died before they saw what they wanted to see because they were humble. Not just because they had faith, but because they had faith and were humble enough to accept that from God. This last story is a longer one, and we kind of know this story. And so I'm not going to read all of this. Uh, Instead, I kind of just want to sum it up for you. And that is the story of the rich young ruler, this rich guy. Lots of uh, he had power, he had position and he had possessions, right? Those are the three P's that the world really cares about, isn't it? Power, position and possessions. We want all and pride is the fourth. And he had all those things, except that he actually had faith and he did have uh, in some areas a real humble attitude enough that Jesus was impressed by him in a lot of ways. Scripture says so. And I think it takes a lot to impress Jesus, don't you? So I'm not going to run this guy down, but he had weaknesses like we have weaknesses and he made a mistake the way we have sometimes made a mistake. He comes to Jesus and he's listening to him teach and he finally says, well, you know what? How do you, how do you inherit eternal life? And he's still thinking because it was the way most of the people at the time thought that there's a list of things that if he can just check them off in just the right way, there, boom, I have it, eternal life. Not just thinking about come follow me, which is what Jesus ultimately says is the way in total that you inherit eternal life. Now, yes, they're still hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus and and being baptized and repenting of your sins and confession and living a faithful life and all of those kinds of things, loving your neighbor. All of that is a part and parcel of come follow me. That's the sad part of the story, isn't it? 
If you're not familiar with the story, this is what ends up happening. This man asks Jesus, well, what about eternal life? Jesus gives him some, some commands. And he goes, well, well, I've done all of that stuff. I already did. So, verse 18. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? I was, I was going to skip that part because I have a friend who quotes this every time anybody says, oh, yeah, he's a real good guy. Why do you call him good? I'm like, oh, stop it, you know? One of those things. So anyway, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. So he gives him a rundown of a few of the commandments. And he says, I've done that. I've done all of that. I, 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 w- I was hoping you, you'd just give me one, one more that would just tie it all up and I'd be good. All right? That's kind of what, what kind of it seems he's getting at. And he says, well, one thing you still lack. This is verse 22. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me and come follow me it was the most important part of all that wasn't it the problem was in order to do that he had to do the first one didn't he sell everything you have and give it to the poor could you do it and i believe that jesus hand tailored this particular challenge to this man because it's what that man needed to let go of okay? i believe that that was his issue for you it may be something else but just for the sake of discussion or thought could you do that? If Jesus, if it was the same thing that Jesus said to you, could you do that? I believe some of you in this room absolutely could. In fact, I, I, there are days when I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if you sold everything you had and gave it to the poor and could actually go and walk with Jesus, that'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? For two things. One, you'd be with Jesus. Two, you get rid of all that junk you've been needing to get rid of, right? And that could be fun. No more dust than that. It's gone. I'm following Jesus. See, that seems to me like a pretty good deal. Seems like a good deal. Sometimes those things hold us more than they should, though, don't they? Here's a question. What if he says, come follow me to New Jersey? Mm, I heard that. Some of you were like, oh, not New Jersey, Lord. Oh, no, Lord. I've got places, okay? I, there are places where if, if I was convicted, that's where the Lord needed me to go. I would be willing to go. Drop of a hat. I've done that. Been there and done that, okay? If... If he said a couple of places, which I will not name today, because who knows, some of you could be from there. Uh, there are places that I would go, oh, if the Lord wrote it in the sky, all right? We're going to need kind of like, you know, you have a fleece out there, and if the Lord gets that fleece wet and this fleece dry, mm, I guess I have to go. There was a, there's a state in the United States that I used to always say, and I've, I've softened a little, but I've, I always said the Lord would have to write it with clouds in the sky, Dear James. I need you to go. Dear James Glasscock underlined, I need you to go. I know I'm going to make sure I get enough qualifiers on here, right? I hate it every time I bring it up because I'm afraid he will. And so, you know, you would have to write the letter in the sky, like 60,000 people would have to see it, and then yes, right? That's kind of this guy's problem, isn't it? Lord wrote it in his sky. Sell it all. Give the money to the poor. Come follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. God was listening. Jesus was listening to what He wanted. He wanted eternal life. He answered His prayer. Brother, I've got a way for you to find it. Come follow me. And He couldn't do it. Oh, did I skip one? Oh, I must have already clicked or somebody clicked or something clicked. He's listening to the open-handed. What I mean by that is this. You're willing to let it all go. Whatever it is that stops you from being what Jesus is calling you to be, whatever it is that keeps you from whether it's being baptized or serving in ministry or being nice to your neighbor, whatever it is that you clench onto and refuse to let go of and say, God, I can do this, this, and this, but I will not do this. 
Had somebody a few years ago say, I know that God calls us to do a lot of things, but I am not going to forgive so-and-so. I will not do it. And I know the Bible says we have to forgive, but I'm not doing it. Guess what you cannot take hold of until you have that hand empty of that grudge? Seriously, Jesus says that. He says, if you do not forgive, what? I will not forgive you. Better open that hand, right? He listens to the open-handed. This man, if he had just been willing to let go of stuff, to let go of place, because sometimes it's place, to let go of possessions, to let go of his position, if he just had open empty hands, he could have embraced everything Jesus was willing to give him. Eternal life, salvation, all of it. And a chance to follow Jesus. This guy, this guy, could have been one of those disciples that stood up and preached the gospel at Pentecost if he just let go. He listens to the open-handed and the humble and the persistent that follow through. If you want to be one of those people, if you need to call on the name of the Lord, you know, part of the way we call on the name of the Lord is our confession of Him as Christ, our confession of our belief in Him, our being buried with Him in baptism. All of that is a plea to God. It's all an appeal to His grace because we're saved by grace through faith. If today is your day to put Christ on in baptism, or if you need to be more persistent in prayer and you want to start by praying with us, we give you that opportunity as we stand and as we sing.